few weeks ago talking about hope in the dark. And we're going to continue today uh, preaching about Jesus, who is the light of the world. So uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. Verse 5, this is a key verse for this series. Speaking of Jesus, it says, There is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Come on, can I get amen? And God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about that light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. And John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice this, they are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Can I get amen so far today? So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the light of the world. Now, we've been talking on Sunday mornings about hope in the dark. And we've been talking about how that we serve a God who's a God of hope, God of all hope and believing. And he's a God who doesn't leave us hopeless and helpless in our dark seasons of life. And a few weeks ago, we talked about depression and anxiety. Last week, we talked about overcoming disappointment. And I'm thankful we serve a God of all hope. That no matter how dark it gets in our life personally or how dark it gets in the world, there is still light and there is still hope because we have a Savior who is hope. And so today we want to talk specifically about Jesus who is the light of the world. We see in the Bible that God describes himself in three ways. God is love, God is life, and God is light. God is love, God is life, and God is light. And we see all throughout the Bible those three characteristics describe who God is and what he does. He is love, he is life, and he is light. But specifically today we want to talk about God as light. So 1 John 1 and verse 5 in the New Living Translation says, This is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Come on, isn't that a good report? God never switches places with the devil. There's no bad days for God. There's no days that he just says, I just feel like being a little bit dark today. No, it never happens. It says that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. There's nothing impure. There's nothing wrong. Nothing at all. No darkness. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. I think it's interesting that the first few verses of our Bible in Genesis, we're going to read this in a second, The first thing that God said is, let there be light. Genesis 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and notice what? Darkness. Darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And notice what God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let's jump back to verse 2. Notice what it says. 
The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. The thing about God is this. He doesn't want things to be dark in your life. He doesn't want things to be messed up in your life. He doesn't want things to be a place of darkness and despair and hopelessness. And so he does something about it. He speaks into that darkness. He speaks into that hopeless place, and he says, let there be light. And God, in this beginning of creation, he was... uh, Hovering over the face of the earth, he says that the Spirit of God was there with him. And it says that there was darkness, and that's not what God wanted. He didn't want darkness. And if he was like most people, he would have said, man, it sure is dark. It's pretty dark. It's pretty hopeless. What can I do about it? But instead of saying what he saw or what he felt, come on, I'm preaching in this Methodist church. He said what he wanted to happen. He called those things that be not as though they are. And he spoke those things into existence. And he said, I see darkness, but I want to speak some light. And so God said, let there be light. And there was light. How many know this morning when we woke up, there was still light? Because his words are still out there working in all of creation. In the entire universe, there's still that light from God. And so Jesus, he is the light of the world. Another beautiful verse that I was looking at this week is Revelation 21 and verse 23. This is at the end of time. And I love what it says. Revelation 21 and 23, it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Now, when it talks about the Lamb, it's not talking about just a physical Lamb. It's talking about Jesus, we know, is the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And it says that Jesus, notice, in that city, we don't need a sun or moon in the future because Jesus will be that light. And it says the nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. Come on, isn't that a great verse? Because the Lamb, or Jesus, is the light. That's going to happen in the future. Someday when we get to heaven, there's not going to need to be a sun or moon or stars in the sky because Jesus is the light. And it says there's never going to be any more nighttime or darkness ever again because Jesus is the light of the world. You know, in your Bible, there is prophecies given about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. If you know anything about the Bible is in the Old Testament, there was prophets and not just one prophet, many, many prophets that spoke about Jesus. They prophesied about Jesus coming. And a prophecy is somebody who speaks about something in the future that hasn't yet happened. Prophecy is you getting a revelation from God about what's going to happen in the future. And so that there would be prophets that would come in the Old Testament and they would not just prophesy about what was going on with God's people. They would prophesy about a future time and a place where God would send a Messiah. God would send an anointed one. God himself would come and rescue his people and redeem his people and help his people and save his people. So all these prophets in the Old Testament would speak because how many know you got to speak something before it happens? And it wasn't just one person speaking it. It was prophets century after century after century. And it was God's people that had it written down were speaking those prophecies about the coming Messiah in the future. And they were speaking these prophecies that when Jesus would come. And there's over 300 of these prophecies in your Bible. 
Let me tell you something, that Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies written in the Old Testament hundreds and hundreds of years before he would ever come, and he fulfilled them perfectly. Do you know that that is statistically impossible to do that for any human being? Just to even fulfill some of those prophecies, it would be impossible to do. But we're talking about over 300 prophecies Jesus fulfilled exactly. It was the exact way that was prophesied because he was divine. No human being could do that. No human being could even put five prophecies together to fulfill them. But over 300 prophecies were written down and he fulfilled those prophecies. But there's one specifically I want to share with you today because it's my favorite one. And there's significance in the first thing spoken. How many know that? There's significance with the first. It's important. And the first prophecy given about the coming of the Messiah and the coming of Jesus is in Genesis. Just a few chapters away from what we just read when God said, let there be light. And it's the first one. Everybody say the first one. And they're significant. Now, there's over 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus, but the first one is significant. So let's look at it. Genesis 3 and verse 14. Now, this is after Adam and Eve had sinned, and we know that the devil, the serpent, is the one who tricked them into sinning. And notice what he says to the devil or the serpent. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all wild animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly groveling in the dust as long as you live. Verse 15, now this is the first, everybody say the first. This is the first prophecy out of those over 300 prophecies spoken about what Jesus was going to do and what he was going to fulfill. And notice, God had a plan already in his mind. Because how many know he knew what Adam and Eve were going to do? And he said, I already got a plan. I already have redemption. I already have something to say over this. So he was ready for this. This was the first thing spoken. And he's talking to the serpent and he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. First prophecy. Everybody say the first. Now, we could just read over this and like, okay, yeah, strike your head, strike your heel. You know, what's the significance of that? But there is significance in that. Now, I want to show you this painting, and I think some of you got this handout when you first uh, came in today with this painting um, that I want to show you briefly. And it's actually a picture that uh, someone drew, and I just think it's amazing because it sums up this first prophet, prophecy perfectly. And if you, you look here, there's Eve on this side, and she's looking in shame. She's looking in disgust because she knows she sinned, she failed, and she had just eaten the apple. But notice around her feet is the serpent, because the serpent had tricked her. But you got Mary on the other side, the mother of Jesus, who is pregnant with Jesus, who is comforting Eve. But notice where her foot is. It's on the head of the serpent. I love this picture because it, it, it totally sums up this first prophecy in the book of Genesis about what God came to do. Now let's just leave this up for a second because when he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, your offspring and her offspring, and it says that, you know what, you're going to strike his heel, 
but the chosen Messiah is going to strike your head. There's significance in that. Because you see in the redemption story, you get to the cross when Jesus came to die. And when Jesus was dying on that cross, not only was his hands pierced on the cross, but Jesus' heel was pierced on the cross. And so Jesus was fulfilling that prophecy that day on the cross. There was a stake or a nail that went through the heel of Jesus on the cross. So Jesus was struck in his heel by the enemy. But how many know it says, but you will strike his head? How many know there's a big difference between a foot injury and a head injury? Unless you stepped on Legos, but that's a different story. (laughs) And all the parents said, amen. Okay, there's nothing worse than a Lego accident. But just for the sake of following me in the story here, there's a big difference when you get hit in the head and you have brain trauma and you have a foot injury. And on the cross, Jesus' heel was injured. His heel was injured on the cross. There was a nail that went through that heel to attach it to the cross, and he was hurt at the moment. But notice the next part is, I will strike his head. Now, when it says prophesied over Jesus was that he was going to strike his head, it means this. When it says head, the headship in the Old Testament, in the time that Jesus lived, stood for dominion, stood for authority, stood for kingship. Because how many know in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sold out the headship or the lordship or the, the, the rights, the kingdom that they had. They sold that to the enemy. They gave it away to the enemy. So the enemy, the God of this world, was legally in charge of this planet. That's why in the New Testament it says that he's the God of this world. So Adam and Eve legally sold away that headship, that lordship, that, that kingdom that they had. But when Jesus died on the cross, he might have had his heel bruised, but he came back and he kicked the devil in the head. He took back his lordship. He took back his kingdom. He took back his dominion. He took back his authority, and he doesn't have it anymore for the life of the believer. So Jesus fulfilled... Every prophecy spoken of him, hundreds and hundreds of years from prophets from all over the world, he fulfilled every one, over 300, perfectly. But he fulfilled the first one. And the first one is the story of redemption. It's the story of the gospel. Yes, Satan, you might have got his heel, but he's going to destroy your headship, your lordship your authority. There's going to be a day that people don't have to listen to you. They don't have to put up with you. They won't be under your control. They won't have to live in darkness anymore. They won't have to live in sickness and disease anymore. They won't have to live in poverty anymore. They won't have to live in torment anymore. They won't have to live in sin anymore. They won't have to live in darkness anymore because the light of the world has come and destroyed your lordship. Come on, are you getting something today in the house of God? So I think that's amazing that Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, but the first one, there's something about the first, the story of redemption. But we see that in the Old Testament, something about God's people is they would do good for a really long period of time, but then they would always blow it. 
Now, you guys can smile because you guys always blow it too. So do I. It's funny. Don't we read the Old Testament and we look down on them with disdain? Like, what's the matter with you? You've seen the Red Sea, you know, parted. You've seen God feed you with manna. You went into the promised land. Why do you keep going back to the same dumb stuff? And then we do it and we don't associate us with the same people. We're like, I would know better than those people. No, you wouldn't. You do the same thing every day. Including myself, God delivers you and you go back to the same old stuff. God heals you and you go back to the same old stuff. God saves you and then you try to go back to the same old stuff. We all do it. But God's people would do it all the time. And so we see that God would do these amazing things for his people. He'd bring them into the promised land and then they would say, I don't know, I want to kind of serve other gods. And then they'd go into captivity, and then God would come redeem them again. And then God would, they would say, you know, yeah, I'm kind of getting bored with this. You know, I kind of want to do something else in my life. And then they'd go back into captivity, and then God would redeem them again. He would rescue them again, kind of like he does us all the time. <laughs> Don't you love that verse, God's mercies are new every morning? Because we blow it so many times that the next day we can say, God, I'm sorry, I blew it again. And you know what he does? He comes like he did in the Old Testament and rescues his people once again. Are you okay? Come back to the light. Come back to the good life. Get out of the darkness. And then the next day we try to go and do our own thing. And God says, okay, I'll rescue you again. Because that's how good God is. Come on, does anybody believe that today? That's how good God is. That he will rescue us. And deliver us even when we walked right into it ourselves. (laughs) And God would do that with his people. But we see that at the end of the Old Testament, it was a period of time between Malachi and Matthew. It was actually 400 years. And between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, was a period of time called the silent years. And those years were a time of darkness for God's people. And not that God wasn't doing anything, because he's always doing something with a remnant of people. He's always doing something. He's always speaking somewhere. But as a whole, God's people and the nation of Israel, were it was silent between them and God. There was darkness. And that happened for 400 years. That's a long time for God to be silent to his people. And we see that those silent years led right into Matthew, which is the first gospel that we read about. So think about that. There's 400 years of darkness. No hope. Actually, in that period of time, the faith that they once had had grown cold. The religious teachers of that day stopped teaching about a relationship with God, and it was all about rules. It was all about restrictions. It was all about trying to appease God. And their relationship had drifted so far from the way it used to be, it was darkness. It was silent for 400 years, Malachi to Matthew. But how many know in the Gospels, Jesus came. And it says in your Bible, in Galatians, God sent his son in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time means the right time. How many know God knows timing better than you know timing? Because a lot of times we say, well, God, you know, you're kind of late. No, God's always on time. You're the one who's late. 
And God sent his son in the fullness of time. He sent him at the right time into human history when it was a time that there was darkness and there was no hope and no one could see a way out. And that's when God waited to send his son. Not when everything was going right. Not when they were on the mountaintop, when they were in silence and darkness. That's when God came to them and rescued them and delivered them. And Jesus came as the light of the world into that darkness after 400 years. That's what Jesus came and did. In the fullness of time. The right time. It wasn't an accident the time and place Jesus was born. And I love when Jesus came. He was the light that shines in the darkness. Could we read in John 8 and verse 12 in the New Living? This is Jesus. He's speaking about himself in John 8 and verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I love that. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness anymore because you will have the light that leads to life. So Jesus came when it was darkness, when it was hopelessness, and Jesus was that light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus came and said, I am the light of the world. And when you follow me, you won't have to live in darkness anymore. I know this morning that it has significance, but imagine the people hearing that for the first time who had been living in silence in darknessness for 400 years. And they knew that there was going to be a Messiah, a Savior that would come and that would help them and rescue them and be the Savior of the world. Imagine the way that they felt when they heard that from Jesus. When they had been living in darkness all those years. That Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you're not going to have to be in this darkness anymore. And that's what he wants to do in your life and my life. He wants to take away the darkness, the pain, the hopelessness, the discouragement. He wants to put the light of God on the inside of you. And once you have that light, the darkness can't extinguish it. That's the good news. No matter what you go through in life, the good, the bad, the ugly, no matter what trials, no matter what situations, God is with you and God is in you and that light will never diminish. It will never extinguish. It will never go out. It will never go away. It will never lose its power because the light of God will live on the inside of you. And that's what Jesus came to bring. He says, I am the light of the world and those who follow me, they're not going to walk in darkness anymore. They're not going to walk in this place of hopelessness anymore because I'm going to come and I'm going to put the light of God in them. It's interesting. There was another period of time in human history that was called the Dark Ages. Now, if you know anything about the Dark Ages, you know it wasn't fun. Like, what did you have to look forward to? There was disease. Everyone was dirty. The sun never came out. No music, no fun, no inventions, no culture. Everybody was just eating pig slop. If you watch any movies about the Dark Ages, it was horrible. The Dark Ages. 
That was a real time in human history that lasted hundreds and hundreds of years. And what had happened in the dark ages is the light of God and the light of God's word had been covered over. So notice what it, what it did to people. It, it took away people's hope. It took away people's ability for life and for, for newness, for anything. But we see that there's something happened and it really happened around the same time. There was many reformers in the church. There was reformers that said certain things like, Everyone should have their own Bible. That was a novel idea. That They said that, you know what? Faith is the way that you receive from God. It's not by works. It's by faith in God. Because people had been re- living under a religious system. And so we see there's hundreds and hundreds of years in human history of the so-called dark ages. But how many know there's always a remnant? Like I said, there's always a remnant of God doing something. But as a whole, it was dark. And then we see these reformers in the church world saying, no, God is like this. God is light. God is love. God is life. No, you need to get into your own Bible. You need to receive by faith. It's not about works. It's about faith in God. That's how you receive. And when the light of God started to turn on in the world, it started to change not just the church, but the culture around it. And how many know that's what the church should be in the culture, in the world? When the light of God comes into the scene, the world shouldn't get duller. It should get better. It should get brighter. It should get get, uh, greater than anything that we've ever seen or imagined before. When the church of Jesus Christ comes into the school, comes into the world, comes into the job force, comes into the community, comes into the neighborhood... Things should get better. Things should be more full of life. Things should improve. Things should go from faith to faith and glory to glory. Why? Because there's love, there's light, and there's life there. Because the light of God has shown up. Come on, are you getting anything this morning? And so we see what happened in this period of time. It's called the Renaissance. And... We see that when the light of God started to come back into the world, into the church, into the culture, everything started to change. The Renaissance, out of the Renaissance came some of the greatest music ever, came some of the greatest architecture ever, some of the greatest pieces of art you see in Italy today ever, the sculptures, the paintings. You see education, you see inventions All of these things came out of the light of God being turned back on in the world. Because when the light comes on and the light of God is shown, it makes everything better. And we start being who we were really meant to be. Notice when the light of God came back on, it changed not just the church, in the renaissance but it changed the world changed the culture it changed the arts changed education it changed inventions but it all came out of the light of god in his word cuz he makes us who we were really meant to be a lot of times people thought well when you become a christian and you get god your life gets duller More boring. You're not creative like you used to be. You don't have fun like you used to be. 
There's nothing special about your life like it used to be. The enemy has sold us that lie. No, everything gets better about you because you become the person you were always meant to be. So you should be the most educated and the most creative and the most powerful and the kindest person at your job and the most loving person at your job. And the life of the party, the Christian should be that person because the light of God is shown all around you. And that light that's in you, it says the darkness can never extinguish it. Even though the enemy wants to, he can't. Because the light of God can never be extinguished. I just think that's interesting in human history that when the light of God comes back into people, to a culture, into a world, it changes it for the better. Just like it did in the Renaissance. The word Renaissance actually means rebirth. Rebirth. A revival. A renovation. Rebirth. There's another verse I want to share with you. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Brother Daryl, could you come play for a moment this morning? 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, it said, For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness. Now, when did he say that? He said that in Genesis, in creation. It says, the same God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So this scripture is saying, the same God in the same light that was in the beginning that God said, let there be light. And there was God's creative power and there was light. It's the same God who speaks into your heart and my heart and says, let there be light. And you're saying, how could that happen? Because he's God and he has that creative power to be able to speak into our life. And he can speak into the darkness in our heart and the hurt and the pain and the guilt and the shame. He can look at our heart and speak to it just like he did in the beginning of creation. And just like he said, let there be light be in the beginning and it still is here. He can speak that into your heart. And that darkness has to leave immediately. The same God who did that. That's what the verse says. Is the same God that speaks to you and says, light shine. And the light that God puts in you. Notice it's not just a physical light. It's a spiritual divine force. The light of God on the inside of you. It says that that light can never be extinguished. So once you got it, you got it. Don't let ever the enemy try to trick you and make you think you that you don't got it. No, you got it. Don't let darkness or hopelessness ever tell you that you're done. And it's too dark. And the sun won't come out tomorrow. It will because the light can never be extinguished. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? The light can never be extinguished. And Jesus is that light in the darkness that shines. He can never be extinguished. He is the light of the world. I want to share a few more thoughts with you before we leave. 
because I could leave you right there. And we're going to take a moment in a second, and I'm going to pray with some people who need to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You need God to speak into your life, and you need the light of God to come and kick all that darkness and guilt and shame out. And we're going to do that in a moment. But I wouldn't be a good minister of the gospel if I didn't share with you the full story. Because Jesus is the light of the world. But he's not here anymore. He's not here anymore. It says that he's at the right hand of the Father. But what he did is he sent back the Holy Spirit, who's mobile light. He's not just light in one place. He's mobile light. And he said he sent back the Holy Spirit to do what? To help the church fulfill the mission of God. So if people are going to see the light, they're going to have to see it in us. If people are going to see in this dark world we live in, they're going to have to see it in us. Because Jesus is only the light of the world now through his church, which that's all of you in here. You know, there's a verse in Isaiah that people love to quote, but they only quote the first part of it. And it says, the world is going to get darker and darker and there will be gross darkness will cover the people, which that's true. Would anybody agree that the world is getting darker and darker? Could you raise your hand just if you could acknowledge that? You can see that on the news. The world is getting darker and darker. It's true. But we shouldn't be afraid because Jesus said it would be that way. But then they don't read the next part of the verse. Because it says, when the world gets darker and darker... The light will shine on you, the church. And the glory of the Lord will be upon you. And people will come from afar to your great light. Now he's talking about us. Why? Because the light of the world now lives on the inside of us. So yeah, it's getting darker. It is. But the light shines brighter in the darkness. The light is more attractive in the darkness. So yeah, it's getting darker. But glory to God, the church is getting brighter. The church is getting better. The church is shining brighter. And it says, they will come from afar because of your light and the glory of the Lord will shine upon you. You know what you're going to be like when you're the real light? I didn't say you're just a Christian who's religious. I said when you're really being the light, you know what you're going to be like? You're going to be like Bugs Life. Now, y'all remember Bugs Life? You're going to be like Bugs Life. And there was a light shining in Bugs Life. And if you have a house that has outside lights, you know what I'm talking about. The light was shining, and you see this bug coming. He says, I can't help it. I can't help it. That's what your life is going to be like. 
the world is going to come from afar because they're living in darkness and they're going to see the light and they're going to go, I can't help it. I can't help it. (laughs) And people are going to come to you at work because they're living in darkness and say, I can't help it. What's different about you? Something about you is drawing me to you. What is it? It's the light. I can't help it. And at your neighborhood, they're going to see you and your family. And they're going to say, I can't help it. What's different about you? Because they're attracted to the light. And at your school, they're going to see you and you're going to be different. And they're going to say, what's different than you? And they're going to say, I can't help it. I want to know what you have and I don't. Because I'm just attracted to you for some reason. And it's not just because you're good looking. It's because there's a light. And that light is the light of the world living on the inside of you. That's what Isaiah says. People are going to see it from afar and say, I need that. I want that. Because they're living in darkness. And the light shines brighter in the dark. I thought this was interesting. In thinking about darkness and light, darkness is not more powerful than light. The only way that it's dark, wherever it is, is because there's an absence of light. Let me say that one more time. The only reason it's dark somewhere is because there's an absence of light. Not because the darkness is more powerful. It's because the light walked out of the room. And Christians are saying, oh my gosh, it's so dark. It's only dark because the Christians have went and hid in the four walls of the church. Because the darkness is not greater. It's called the church. It's just turned off the lights, walked out of the room, went and hid in our caves, in our corners, in our churches, and isolated ourselves because we're scary of the big bad world. Not because the darkness is greater or more powerful than us. It's because there's an absence of light. So imagine if the 2.2 billion so-called believers on the planet actually turned the light back on. What would our world look like completely different? And we wouldn't have the darkness we have today. Why? Because the light walked back into the room. Doesn't the Bible say this? You learn this in kids' class. Don't hide it under. Remember that song? Don't hide it. Let your light shine. Why? Because people need to see it. They're desperate to see it. They want to see it. And you are the light in the world. So the only reason it's dark today in this planet that we live it's because there's an absence of light. I want to read one last verse to you, and I have it in my Bible here, so the PowerPoint's not going to have it. Before we leave and pray today, 
Matthew 5 and verse 14 in the New Living Translation. Now listen to what I'm saying because this is who you are now when you've received Jesus. Or this is who you're going to become when you receive Jesus in a second here. Matthew 5, 14. It says, you are the light of the world. Notice not just Jesus, you. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Verse 15, this is that kid's song we used to sing. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Y'all know better than that. You don't put a light in your house and then cover it with something. First of all, it's not doing its purpose, but second of all, it's a fire hazard. You wouldn't do that. But Christians do that all the time. Oh, I'm not a believer. Oh, oh I, yeah, I don't go to that church. They're kind of they're radical. I, I don't go to that church. Why are you hiding? That's not what light is for. Light is for everyone, it says. And so it says, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. That's the way your life should be. You can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. That's what you should be in your world. A light that gets light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, and it says, In the same way, listen to this, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So why are we the light? To help people, yes. To show people the way, yes. But the Bible says, not that they would see you. They would see the way you're living. They would see the light in you, but you could point them to Jesus. That's all you are. Just like John the Baptist says, John the Baptist wasn't the light, but he was pointing to the one that was. He was giving testimony to the light that was. And that's what we are as believers that light that shines in us, it's not just us. It's the Spirit of God in us, making us look better than we are. Can I get amen for that? Helping us live this life, empowering us to do these good works that God planned ahead of time, that people would see those. And then it says, when they see them, they're going to glorify God and want to know what you have. That's who you are, church. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. You are the light that God is placing to give light to everyone. So let your good deeds or your good works shine out to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Isn't this a good Christmas message? Because all of you are going to get a lot of opportunity to shine some light the next few days.
Come on, smile at me. You know who you're seeing. Don't act like you don't know who who I'm talking about. You know who you're seeing. And what are you going to be? Not cantankerous? Not argumentative? No, because you're not going to be a part of the darkness just like they are. What are you going to be? You're going to be loving, and you're going to be kind, and you're going to be sweet, and you're going to be a light in a dark place. So maybe your conversation will turn out good instead of bad this Christmas. And they'll say, you're not like me. What's different about you this year? And your relatives will say, I can't help it. I can't help it. Maybe they'll even give you a bigger gift. I can't help it because they see a light about you that's different from them. That's what we're called to be. A light in a dark place. Come on, do you guys get anything this morning? Come on, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world.